With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Rex 1. The events of the days that followed our arrival at the Falkland Islands I will not attempt to describe in detail. My mind was bent upon the rescue of the party on Elephant Island at the earliest possible moment. Winter was advancing, and I was fully conscious that the lives of some of my comrades might be the price of unnecessary delay. A proposal had been made to send a relief ship from England, but she could not reach the southern seas for many weeks. In the meantime, I got into communication with the governments of the South American republics by wireless and cable, and asked if they had any suitable ship I could use for a rescue. I wanted a wooden ship capable of pushing into loose ice, with fair speed and a reasonable coal capacity. Messages of congratulation and goodwill were reaching me from all parts of the world, and the kindness of hundreds of friends in many lands was a very real comfort in a time of anxiety and stress. The British Admiralty informed me that no suitable vessel was available in England, and that no relief could be expected before October. I replied that October would be too late. Then the British minister in Montevideo, telegraphed me regarding a trawler named Instituto de Pesca No. 1, belonging to the Uruguayan government. She was a stout little vessel, and the government had generously offered to equip her with coal, provisions, clothing, etc., and send her across to the Falkland Islands for me to take down to Elephant Island. I accepted this offer gladly, and the trawler was in Port Stanley on June 10. We started south at once. The weather was bad, but the trawler made good progress steaming steadily at about six knots, and, in the bright, clear dawn of the third day, we sighted the peaks of Elephant Island. Hope ran high, but our ancient enemy the pack was lying in wait, and within twenty miles of the island the trawler was stopped by an impenetrable barrier of ice. The pack lay in the form of a crescent, with a horn to the west of the ship stretching north. Steaming northeast, we reached another horn, and saw that the pack, heavy and dense, then trended away to the east. We made an attempt to push into the ice, but it was so heavy that the trawler was held up at once and began to grind in the small thick floes, so we cautiously backed out. The propeller, going slowly, was not damaged, though any moment I feared we might strip the blades. The island lay on our starboard quarter, but there was no possibility of approaching it. The Uruguayan engineer reported to me that he had three days' coal left, and I had to give the order to turn back. A screen of fog hid the lower slopes of the island, and the men watching from the camp on the beach could not have seen the ship. Northward we steamed again, with the engines knocking badly, and, after encountering a new gale, made Port Stanley with the bunkers nearly empty and the engines almost broken down. 
HMS Glasgow was in the port, and the British sailors gave us a hearty welcome as we steamed in. The Uruguayan government offered to send the trawler to Punta Arenas, and have her dry-docked there and made ready for another effort. One of the troubles on the voyage was that according to the estimate, the trawler could do ten knots on six tons of coal a day, which would have given us a good margin to allow for lying off the ice, but in reality, owing to the fact that she had not been in dock for a year, she only developed a speed of six knots on a consumption of ten tons a day. Time was precious, and these preparations would have taken too long. I thank the government, then, for its very generous offer, and I want to say now that the kindness of the Uruguayans at this time earned my warmest gratitude. I ought to mention also the assistance given me by Lieutenant Ryan, a naval reserve officer who navigated the trawler to the Falklands and came south on the attempt at relief. The Instituto de Pesca went off to Montevideo, and I looked around for another ship. A British mail-boat, the Orita, called at Port Stanley opportunely, and I boarded her with Worsley and Crean, and crossed to Punta Arenas in the Magellan Straits. The reception we received there was heartening. The members of the British Association of Magellans took us to their hearts. Mr. Allen MacDonald was especially prominent in his untiring efforts to assist in the rescue of our twenty-two companions on Elephant Island. He worked day and night, and it was mainly due to him that within three days they had raised the sum of one thousand five hundred pounds amongst themselves, chartered the schooner Emma, and equipped her for our use. She was a forty-year-old oak schooner, strong and seaworthy, with an auxiliary oil engine. Out of the complement of ten men all told who were manning the ship, there were eight different nationalities, but they were all good fellows and understood perfectly what was wanted. The Chilean government lent us a small steamer, the Yelco, to tow us part of the way. She could not touch ice, though, as she was built of steel. However, on July 12, we passed her our tow-rope and proceeded on our way. In bad weather we anchored next day, and although the wind increased to a gale, I could delay no longer, so we hove up anchor in the early morning of the 14th. The strain on the tow-rope was too great. With the crack of a gun the rope broke. Next day the gale continued, and I will quote from the log of the Emma, which Worsley kept as navigating officer. 9 a.m. Fresh, increasing gale. Very rough, lumpy sea. 10 a.m. Tow-rope parted. 12 noon, similar weather. 1 p.m. Tow-rope parted again. Set foresail and foresaysail, and steered southeast by south. 3 p.m. The Elko hailed us and said that the ship's bilges were full of water, so were our decks, and they were short of coal. Sir Ernest told them that they could return to harbour. After this the Elko steamed into San Sebastian Bay. After three days of continuous bad weather we were left alone to attempt once more to rescue the twenty-two men on Elephant Island, for whom by this time I entertained very grave fears. At dawn of Friday, July 21st, we were within a hundred miles of the island, and we encountered the ice in the half-light. I waited for the full day, and then tried to push through. The little craft was tossing in the heavy swell, and before she had been in the pack for ten minutes, she came down on a cake of ice and broke the bobstay. Then the water inlet of the motor choked with ice. The schooner was tossing like a cork in the swell and I saw after a few bumps that she was actually lighter than the fragments of ice around her. Progress under such conditions was out of the question. I worked the schooner out of the pack and stood to the east. 
I ran her through a line of pack towards the south that night, but was forced to turn to the northeast, for the ice trended in that direction as far as I could see. We hove to for the night, which was now sixteen hours long. The winter was well advanced, and the weather conditions were thoroughly bad. The ice to the southward was moving north rapidly. The motor engine had broken down, and we were entirely dependent on the sails. We managed to make a little southing during the next day, but noon found us 108 miles from the island. That night we lay off the ice in a gale, hove to, and morning found the schooner iced up. The ropes, cased in frozen spray, were as thick as a man's arm, and if the wind had increased much we would have had to cut away the sails, since there was no possibility of lowering them. Some members of the scratch crew were played out by the cold and the violent tossing. The schooner was about seventy feet long, and she responded to the motions of the storm-wracked sea in a manner that might have disconcerted the most seasoned sailors. I took the schooner south at every chance, but always the line of ice blocked the way. The engineer, who happened to be an American, did things to the engines occasionally, but he could not keep them running, and the persistent south winds were dead ahead. It was hard to turn back a third time, but I realized we could not reach the island under those conditions, and we must turn north in order to clear the ship of heavy masses of ice. So we set a northerly course, and after a tempestuous passage reached Port Stanley once more. This was the third reverse, but I did not abandon my belief that the ice would not remain fast around Elephant Island during the winter, whatever the armchair experts at home might say. We reached Port Stanley in the schooner on August 8, and I learned there that the ship Discovery was to leave England at once, and would be at the Falkland Islands about the middle of September. My good friend the Governor said I could settle down at Port Stanley and take things quietly for a few weeks. The street of that port is about a mile and a half long. It has the slaughterhouse at one end and the graveyard at the other. The chief distraction is to walk from the slaughterhouse to the graveyard. For a change, one may walk from the graveyard to the slaughterhouse. Ellaline Terrace was born at Port Stanley, a fact not forgotten by the residents, but she has not lived there much since. I could not content myself to wait for six or seven weeks, knowing that six hundred miles away my comrades were in dire need. I asked the Chilean government to send the Yelko, the steamer that had towed us before, 